Well, good morning, everyone. So, so great to be here with you this morning. This is an historic day in the life of our church as we welcome our third senior pastor. And we're very excited to, uh, to introduce him to you. Miriam and I have had the chance to be at this church for over 40 years. And in those 40 years, we've been able to serve under. Yeah. Yeah. We've been able to serve alongside two phenomenal leaders in David Nicholas and Tommy Kiedis. And continuing that tradition, we're excited about our third senior pastor. And so David and Tony and Anna, why don't you guys come on out? This is uh, actually the third time I've introduced you, and hopefully it's the last. So, but <laughs> we're, so, we're so excited uh, to begin a new, really a new era for Spanish River Church, a new phase, and we're excited you guys are joining us and look forward to all that God is going to do. Tony, it's a blessing to have you with us this morning as well. I know you want to share some things. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you all so much for welcoming us so warmly. Um, it means so much to, to Anna, David, and myself, as well as my children that are not here, which are in Tennessee. I just wanted to, to say I am so excited to see what God is doing and is going to do in our midst here in Boca Raton. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just fall fresh upon each one of us today for the rest of our days and that you know our lives will bring the gospel right here to our town to our families today and I just wanted to say thank you yeah thank you for your kind welcome uh, glad Anna could be with us in this service. She was working with the student ministry in the middle school uh, during the first service. We are thrilled to be here, very grateful. And if I can take a moment of personal privilege, I want to simply say thank you to your wonderful executive pastor, Ron Tobias, who has served you so well and so faithfully. So thank you, brother. You've just been amazing. I will say that, thank you, have a seat. <laughs> I, uh, I had a great text message this morning from Tommy. He's praying for you, praying for us. He's excited about this. I'm excited about taking the baton from him and leading the congregation forward in its mission, which David Nicholas started, which Tommy carried forward with such faithfulness. You can count on us to pour out our lives to see that mission go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to um, pray for you. And uh, there's high expectations on you today, so oh gosh, you better uh, you better come through. That's just. <laughs> but we are very excited uh, as we start this new new season for Spanish River Church. Yeah, and thrilled to have you guys with us, the entire family. So let me pray for y'all. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for um, for just the way that, for your provision for bringing the Cassidy family here, uh, for calling them to serve in this capacity, and we're. We're just so excited to see what you're going to do through this ministry and through his leadership. I just pray for him, Father. I know it's a, it's a, it's a huge burden to take on and a, 
and a high calling. And I just pray that you equip him. I pray for uh, just that you provide for him and, and, uh, and whatever resources he needs and whatever leadership team he needs and that you just do a mighty work in and through his calling in this ministry. Lord, grateful so much for all that you've done in the history of Spanish River and through, through both David and Tommy and now stepping into a uh, new leadership time with David. And we just pray, Father, that you just would uh, provide for us all. We're thankful for all that you have done for us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you. I'll see you in a bit. Well, I do really want to say thank you. Uh, I wasn't here just a couple of minutes uh, a week ago Thursday driving into the apartment complex, and there were guys there to help me unload, get things set up, deacons putting a lot of sweatage into stuff, people that donated furniture for really needed pieces that, uh, to make the place live, livable and habitable. So thank you for your generous welcome, truly. And, and of course, you know, there's always things that you need that um, you still got to go get so, you know, you're hitting Walmart, and then we hit Ikea. Um, <laughs> you never, ever leave Ikea with only what you went to Ikea to get, right? And so all this stuff's going through while we're checking out, and I'm like, what, what? Look at all this stuff. I mean, it was, and it was, it was considerable. It was so much, I asked the lady if she would take my insurance card instead of my debit card because I thought maybe I could just do the copay or something. And, and the receipt was long enough to start wallpapering with. It was just, <laughs> but we are getting settled in and we are so grateful. Hey, um, this morning, I want us to turn to John chapter 1, whether you're using a print version of the text, electronic version of the text, if you're joining us from home. John chapter 1, I think it's a great place for us to start today uh, with the place that Jesus' ministry began, in the lowest place on the planet, at the Jordan Valley. If you've been over to the Holy Land, you've been outside of Jerusalem heading towards the Dead Sea along the Jordan River, there in the lowest place on the planet, the high king of heaven came to the lowest place on earth. And there he was revealed to Israel as the one who would be their Messiah. And I want us to pick up on these words from John the Presbyterian beginning in verse 29. Uh, John 1, 29, we're going to read through verse 37. The next day he, that is John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. He says this again, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you establish your word 
in our hearts and minds so that it might transform us and direct our steps and help us to walk in your ways. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'll watch just about any kind of movie. I'll watch the rom-coms and the dramas and the thrillers. I don't watch scary movies because scary movies are, are scary. And I'm, I've never really quite figured out why you want to hand 20 bucks over to somebody to terrify you and give you a week's worth of, of nightmares. But the one movie I absolutely just, I mean, I've got a rule, I just won't do it, is I will not watch a movie with a dog. And there's a good reason for that. Because in any movie with a dog, what always happens? The dog dies. The dog dies. Spoiler alert. The dog's going to die. And then, he, then I cry. I cry. And, and I, I, I think of Zach, and I think of Max, all my dogs, you know, and I'm like, oh, and this happened to me. I was, I was on a plane, and I, I said, and I broke my rule, and I was watching Marley, and ding, and I'm crying. Guy sitting next to me goes, are you okay? And I'm like, the dog died. <laughs> the dog died. So I'm flying back from, flying back from Montana last week, and a dog movie is available. And I'm like, do I watch the dog? I shouldn't watch the dog. No, I resist this temptation. But then it was about a race car driver. And so it was, it was The Secret of Racing in the Rain uh, by Garth Stein. Great book. And they turned it into a movie. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch the dog movie. I went in. And I'm so glad I, I did on this occasion. Because there's a great line in it. It's at chapter 17 of the book, just a single sentence, and it comes through in the movie. He's talking about a driver when he's facing the track, and it's this simple truth, where your eye goes, your car goes. And he said, if your eye goes towards the wall, if the race driver can't take his eye off the wall, he's going to head into that wall. You've probably had that experience just driving yourself. If you've got some sensitive power steering, something caught your peripheral vision and you looked over or somebody who was well-intentioned with you in the car said, oh, look, and you did, and then nearly wrecked the car. Because as you look and the car starts to move, where your eye goes, your car goes, let me tell you something that's spiritually true. Where your eye goes, your life goes. And right here in this text, John uses a vital word that's a big Bible word. Behold. Behold is much stronger than look. It's dwell on this. Look here. Behold. And he said something to them incredibly shocking. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He saw Jesus standing in the crowd. He had seen the Spirit come down on Jesus in his baptism. Here are these throngs of people who've come out to see this unusual figure, this Elijah-like figure in the middle of the Judean wilderness. And on this occasion, he preaches to them the message which you should expect to hear every Sunday here, the message which should sound forth from this church around the world, the message that the people back then needed to hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, pointing to Jesus, look, there he is, behold him. This is a message 
that was not only for them, but for us today. The reason it's for us today, we know, is because John includes it in his gospel. John's gospel says at the very end, if everything Jesus had said and done had been written down, the world couldn't contain the books, but these things have been written for you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this permanent record of what was said about Jesus is there not only for the people who first heard it, but for all people in all times and in all places. And we're to hear, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's a message that John the Baptist gave that's not only for the people who first heard him, it's a message for us. How do we understand this message? How do we hear that Jesus is the Lamb of God in our lives? Well, we hear it through the the testimony of all of the Scriptures. Because that language that John used, the Lamb of God, that's not new language for them. That may be new to you today, but it wasn't new to the people who first heard John the Baptist there on the banks of the Jordan River. No, that language was all over their scriptures. If you'd grown up in the synagogue, you're very familiar with the images and the language of the Lamb. You knew the story, terrifying, unsettling story of Abraham and Isaac. God coming to Abraham in Genesis 22 and saying, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the place that I will show you and offer him up. And there you see Isaac at Mount Moriah, and he's walking up the the mountain with his father, and on his back is the wood. And his dad has the knife, and Isaac turns to his father, and he says, hey, I see the wood, I see the knife, where's the lamb? Good question. Do you remember Abraham's response? God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. The lamb will be there. In Exodus, hundreds of years after Abraham, Moses is with his people. He's with all the descendants of Abraham. They're slaves in Egypt. And God comes to Moses and says, I want you to go to the head of every house. Tell them to get a lamb and gather around the table and have that Passover feast because tonight I'm coming into the land of Egypt. I'm going to visit in judgment and I'm going to liberate them. In Leviticus, this lamb is a representative of the people themselves. The prophets picked up on this and Isaiah talked about a servant that would come from God who would be like a lamb, silent before its shearers, and then be the substitute offering for the sins of God's people, that he would lay down his life, and by his blood, God's people would not only be liberated as at Passover, but be forgiven of all of their trespasses, that the punishment that was due to them would fall on the lamb who was their substitute and representative. And so when John stood there and said, behold the Lamb of God, all of those people heard Abraham and Isaac. They heard Moses. They heard Isaiah. And all of the hope that had been theirs, building in them for a millennium and more, suddenly found its focus. There he is. You see, people would come to John the Baptist and said, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. But now John says, This one is the Messiah. Here's the Lamb. This is the one that everything has been pointing towards. This is the Lamb of God. What does that mean for us? It means that you and I, when we behold Him, behold the Lamb, discover mercy. Because He is our representative. 
He comes to us in our plight, the plight of sin. And you may be sitting here this morning or listening online and thinking, but I don't have that much sin in my life. It doesn't affect me that badly. It's not reached really as far as me. I'm a good person. But in fact, sin has reached every single individual and every fiber of our being. And you and I find as we wake up every single day the impulses to move away from God rather than towards God. We find inside of us as we stop and think about it a treasonous tendency to betray and deny the God who created us and made us. And to say to him, you're not going to tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to run my life. That's at the core of what sin is. This pride that says, I will be my own God. I will make my own rules. And it is this which has separated humankind from God. But God in his mercy does not look upon us with anger, but rather with love and kindness sends his son to be our savior, to be the lamb that takes away sin and deals with it, and bears the punishment for our sin. By his stripes, we're healed. And so we find mercy. Look at him. Look to him for mercy. This is why Jesus said, I will be lifted up, and all who look upon me will be drawn to me where your eye goes, your life goes. We need mercy. We know we need mercy. Where do we find it? You probably know people you would never tell what's going on in your life to. You would never tell them. Not only because you're afraid of what they would think of you, you're afraid of all the people they would tell. But with Jesus, you can find mercy. He laid down his life for you. You can find change, transformation. Because you not only look to him for mercy... The scriptures say that as we with unveiled face behold the glory of Jesus, the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus, we are transformed, we are changed more and more into his image. Because while God loves us as we are and meets us where we are, he does not leave us as we are. He receives us, he welcomes us, he calls us his children, and then he grows us more and more into the image of Christ. How does that happen? Behold the Lamb. As you look upon him, you are changed to be like him. The great English poet William Blake said, we become like the one we look upon. Where's your eye going? What do you look upon? Upon whom do you look? Look upon Jesus. How do you do that? Well, you see him in the Word. Every single verse of Scripture speaks of him. And you see him in worship. As we behold him with unveiled faces, see the glory of God in worship, you say, well, how does that happen? Well, in the book of Revelation, John heard a voice. The apostle John who wrote this gospel heard a voice and said, come up here. That's what happens every single Sunday when we stand up. There's a voice from heaven that says, come up here. You may have thought you were only coming to church, but in fact, God is calling you up into heaven, into his very presence. And when John got up there, he was told the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to break the seals of the scroll that was being presented. And so he says he looked for the lion, and when he looked for the lion, behold a lamb. A lamb that was slain. 
Because the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is telling the story of this lamb. And it's very interesting. Around the throne where that lamb is, here's what John saw happening in worship. He heard thunder and sounds and lightning and all the creatures of heaven and all the angels and all the archangels thunderously worshiping the Lamb of God and crying out at the top of their lungs, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. My friends, that's what happens in worship. You and I are not only people who are forgiven and people who are being changed, but we're people who are invited into the presence of God to join with the angels and archangels in this great acclamation of Christ, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who with, as the hymn writer said, rich wounds yet visible above, testifies to us that we are forgiven and invites us into his presence right now. Jesus didn't die just so you could go to heaven when you die. Jesus died so you could go to heaven every day. And there in his presence, you behold his glory, you see his splendor, you hear the angels, you begin to take in the atmosphere of heaven itself into your lungs, and you're changed. How? Behold the Lamb. That's why this is a message for us. It's not only a message of mercy and transformation, but of worship, where we meet and commune with the living God. That's why it's a message for us. But my friends, it's also a message from us. Yes, it's a message for us. Thank God. But it's a message for us. If you look at the text again, there in John chapter 1, we hear what John the Baptist says about his own work. He says, for this purpose, I came baptizing that he might be revealed. Listen to that sentence again. For this purpose, I came baptizing that he might be revealed. Why does Spanish River do what it does? What is the purpose of Spanish River Church? Why do we even exist? Spanish River Church exists in this world to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to our members, to our neighbors, and the nations in the power of the gospel. Spanish River Church exists in the world to say to one another and to our neighbors and to the nations, behold the Lamb. And John did that. You heard him in the first part of this verse say to the multitudes, behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. But then, did you catch it in the latter part of that section when he said, behold the Lamb of God again? It was just to a couple of people. It was just to two disciples that were standing there next to him. When it says disciples, it means his disciples, the followers of John. And he turned to them and just quietly, just quietly, not in some big sermon, just quietly said, you see him? There he is, behold the Lamb. And it says, and when they saw Jesus, listen to this, they followed him. My friends, you may never preach to thousands, but you can say to a couple of people at work, a couple of neighbors, a couple of friends, behold the lamb. And when you do, that lamb part is critical. Because when John saw him, he says, I saw a lamb as if slain. We're talking to people about the one who died for them, who loved them and died for them. I was sitting in my college dorm room years ago 
with a young man who said, I, 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 I hear all these, this, this stuff about Christianity. I'm not interested. He said, I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with the church. And he started telling me about all the failures of the church, and there are many. He started telling me about all that religion did to leave people empty, and it does. When he got to the end, I looked at him, and I said, but what are you going to do about the cross? What are you going to say about the cross with Jesus hanging there for you? And he sat up and he said, I can't object to that. And I said, the church will not save you. And religion will not save you. We don't go out into our society saying Spanish River will change anybody. We don't go out into the society saying a pastor will change anyone. There's only one pastor. There's only one perfect pastor. Only one good, great, and chief shepherd. And he's the lamb who laid down his life. And when people meet him, they are forgiven, they are changed, and they cannot deny that what he did at the cross is the supreme answer to the crying need of the human heart. And he prayed and he gave his life to Christ right then. My friends, this is a message that goes out from us. Because he's the Lamb of God, shockingly again, who takes away the sins of what? The world. They would have expected John the Baptist to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of Israel. Because he certainly would do that. But he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. My friends, you and I are called into the world. When EMTs get a call that someone's hurting and in pain and suffering, they don't go up to the, the house and go, well, what's your socioeconomic status? What's your race? What's your religion? What's your gender? They're not asking, what, what's your religious background? They're not asking any of that. They just know that somebody's in pain. Someone's in difficulty. They run to the roar. They move towards the pain. That's what Christians are called to do in our mission. Everyone, everywhere. Jesus is coming to save. And you and I are called to bear witness to that and say to them, this is the one who can forgive. This is the one who can change. This is the one who can finally meet the longings of your heart. Behold the Lamb. John's gospel starts off with this, behold. But John wrote it with a bookend. There's another behold at the end of the gospel. This first part of John's gospel opens with a prophet. John, the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. But it ends not with a prophet, but with Pontius Pilate. And he says behold as well. He brings Jesus out to this assembled throng that is screaming for his blood. And he says to the crowd, Ecce homo! Behold the man, after they had, as Isaiah prophesied, beaten him to a pulp and bloodied his back with the stripes and the wounds that heal us. After the soldiers had mocked him and spat upon him and put a crown of thorns on his head and put a, a mockery of a purple robe on his bloodied body, they brought him out chained and said, Behold the man. Because in those two beholds, behold the lamb and behold the man, 
is the whole story of the gospel. Because when John said, behold the lamb, he was saying, he will come and be your representative. He will come and be your substitute. And he did. And when Pilate brought him out and said, behold the man, that was Jesus saying, I am the lamb who will die for you. I am the lamb who will lay down my life for you. I am the one who will suffer on the cross. I have come from the highest heaven and I will hang between heaven and earth and I will bear in my body every single one of your sins and when I die, they will expire. And when I'm buried, those sins will be buried and your old life will be buried with me. And on the third day he rose from the dead and when he rose from the dead, he brought new life to you and to me so that you and I could finally have our communion with God restored and life again from the dead. And so my friends, I tell you today, our message for the world is the message that God gave to us that we needed. Behold the Lamb. My friends, where are your eyes this morning? Are they on yourself? Are they on society and all of its trouble? Are they on the evening news and whatever's pulsing through the culture? Behold the Lamb. Are they on your own internal condition, your anxieties, your depressions, your fears? Behold the Lamb. My friends, let me tell you why you can trust Jesus. Because He beheld us. He beheld us. And where your eye goes, your life goes. And when He saw us, he came to us. God said to Israel, I have seen the affliction of my people and I have come down. You do not serve some distant deity, some creator who just spun everything off into existence and wished us luck. You serve a God, you know a God, who having seen the catastrophe that we created by our high treason, enters into it, comes to us. And Jesus, knowing everything about us, because there's nothing about us he does not know, everything is naked and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, the scriptures say. He knows everything about us you would never want anyone else to know about you. He knows it all. And when he shows up, he does not show up to shame you. He shows up to save you. My goodness, what a savior. He does not save you or me because we deserve it or earn it. We never could. We can't. We don't. He turns his enemies into his family. We're the kind of people who turn our family into enemies. He turned his enemies into his family and said, I'll lay down my life for you. I'm the lamb. And that lamb tonight is at the center of the throne of God being worshipped by all the living creatures and all the angels and everybody who's gone before us and soon we will see him and he is going to split the skies and return and when he does we will all cry behold the lamb but you don't have to wait for that day you can behold him right now and say Jesus I want to see you I live to see you. Where your eye goes, your life goes.
Behold the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord, our vision is so often seduced and distracted. Lord, would you come and heal our eyes? Would you restore our vision? Would you bring us back to the proper focus? The focus of our hearts being you. The focus of our mission being you. The message for us, the message from us is you. Lord, do that, we pray. And for all those in this place or watching online who have not yet had their eyes opened to the beauty of Jesus, Lord, would you by your spirit right now open those eyes? Would you by your spirit create saving faith in those who are listening and help them to say from the heart, like my friend said so long ago, I can't deny the cross. I want to follow Jesus. you need Jesus right now, you tell him, Lord, I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to forgive me. I thank you that you did not come to shame me, but to save me.